When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on Off Tackle Empire, the Big Ten settles for a split decision in the non-conference card. Smashing victory, crushing defeat, moral triumph, though that goes without saying for your favorite Midwestern poet warriors. Today on Off Tackle Empire. Your source for Big Ten card, it's Off Tackle Empire! You're listening to Off Tackle Empire, the biggest tennis podcast of them all. I can tell that because the number of us is not equal to ten, and we are quite big. Yeah, and so therefore, it's fine if we skip over a couple of these tomato can games this week because there's not much to say anyway. Beep indeed, beep indeed. Absolutely, I'm Steve Braun alongside Andrew Kuszewski. And, well, there's a lot to get through here, but I guess I want to start with a Wind Flight Tri Brewster of the Week because I just love this name. It's Shorts Brewing Company up in Bel Air, one of my favorites in Michigan, Big Bird Blood, which is a milkshake IPA that tastes like Sweet Victory. A couple of big birds were down by Big Ten teams, including including a, a, a rather confused Ibis getting speared and a War Eagle getting clawed apart. There was big bird blood all over the Big Ten this week. And another bird also died. It was the noble kingfisher smashing itself against, uh, against a, a, a terrapin shell that really wasn't doing anything in particular. It just, yeah, it just held still and withdrew its head into its shell. Maryland 20, Illinois 17. I was positive you were going to go with Big Bert as the natural endpoint of that little bit. I was just, I was sitting, I was like vibrating with anticipation to see where it went. But look, sometimes when you're thinking or talking about Illinois football, you're going to find yourself a little disappointed. So as, as I pointed out in the outline here, like, as, as long as Illinois just keeps playing their games earlier and earlier and farther away from the rest of college football, it'll be better for you because it will allow you to partake of the rest of the sport without, you know, wanting to fall on a knife quite so much. Yeah, so last week Illinois basically wrapped their game up by about a quarter after 10 central time. And this week they, they wrapped it up before, well, a little after midnight uh, on Friday. So didn't spend very much of, I mean, spent even less of Saturday uh, shitting up my weekend. You know, we'll get like a we'll get like a noon kickoff on Friday, and find some kind of like unrecognized like probably like a state of Illinois holiday that's that's being celebrated on that Friday, so they have a reason to play it then. Like, oh, it's, it's you know, it's a bank holiday. Like, we can, we can play on Friday today. Yeah, we got a two thirty for the Cannon game, which could be interesting, but we'll get to that later. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the interesting thing, of course, here is I did what I could for you, man. Because you, you'll recall last week, 
I could tell you you were really feeling it from the previous week's result, and I was like, look, I need to do Steve a favor here, and so I'm going to I'm going to sprinkle my wasting disease on Maryland's quarterback by selecting him for my college fantasy team. And sure enough, uh, Talia Tungavailoa had his worst game of the season by a wide margin. Uh, Which was actually third? still, you look at his stats, fairly good. Fairly good in the context of like normal college football, but in the context of the league we play in where you have to pick the guy who throws 500 yards and six touchdowns to keep up. Yeah, I was wondering, like we were neck and neck last week. How did I end up just getting down to six, whereas you slid all the way to 11th? It's because I picked Matt Corral, and he got 58 points. Yeah, and I went with Spencer Rattler, and he also did poorly, which we'll cover in a little bit. So, let's talk about some good things that each coaching staff did. Sure. Um, Maryland, on defense, they came out with a very effective strategy, which was they basically sold out on the inside run, knowing that that's what we wanted to do. Um now, I say that's what we wanted to do, not that's what we're good at. Because um, we're not good at that as our games so far, especially the one against UTSA, have have proven. But Maryland knew that's what we were going to do early and often, no matter how many times we got rebuffed, because that's kind of how we've played it. Uh, Illinois also did a really good job at defensive game planning. They were a lot more able to get pressure on Tagovailoa, and he did struggle a bit when pressured. He he got happy feet a few times. Um, they managed to stay pretty close until the fourth quarter with the uh, very talented receivers. Uh, Dante Demas had eight catches that did not find the end zone. Um, and did have one play called back, right? The one where it was like a touchdown right down the middle of the field, and he like grabbed it and like shucked the guy covering him yeah like, he, like a high schooler throwing a kindergartner off him. <laughs> but but I, I think there was a hold or something or like a illegal proceed like some penalty called back what was otherwise a fantastic play yeah so those were the things that each coaching staff did particularly well now let's talk about the rest of the game better known as like everything else like that nine, happened like 90 percent um, in maryland's case boy they probably should have had three guys ejected for targeting and I thought it was really funny that the uh, Fox broadcast decided to, to ask the question of, now, was this one targeting? This being the one where, where, where dude tried to jump, like, over Brandon Peters and just got, like, two feet of air. Yeah. Smacking him head to head. Um, and Maryland had a couple of very dumb turnovers and several really, really killer penalties, which, of course, was... A thing that I talked about being a distinct possibility of that happening. You did, and I refused to bring this up during the broadcast because I thought by doing so I would prevent it from happening. But the thing that I was going to point out, I was like, ask me later, ask me about this later. The thing I was going to point out was that other than last year when they did their loss earlier, Maryland had lost in week three of the previous three seasons in a row. Now... They, after, for all after, intents and purposes, did. Right. After looking dominant in the first two weeks, just like they did this year. This time, they, they managed to pull it out, but they are also absolutely a Mike Loxley team. Consistently inconsistent is just what they're going to be. They thoroughly deserve to lose this game, but their talent edge was just a little bit too much to be it's, held down. Well... There's there's that aspect, and there's also the absolute symphony that Illinois put on in the last five minutes. But yeah. uh, 
Maryland outgained Illinois, but went two for 10 on third down. For some reason, they just couldn't make anything happen on third down. And again, credit to, to, to Illinois for completely rebounding on defense. I mean, after just an absolutely awful showing against Virginia, they looked completely clueless the first quarter of the game, made some adjustments, but they're kind of for naught. And, you know, you saw Brennan Armstrong just kind of dick around and make more difficult throws than he needed to. Uh, you didn't see that with, with, with Maryland. They were able to get pressure. They were able to, you know, they, they, they came out with a game plan and executed it and made some adjustments over the course of the game as well. Same cannot be said for the offense. Now, I think it's really weird that we are four games into the season, and I think there's more than enough data to suggest that our interior offensive line is just not as good as we thought it was going to be. And they just really struggled to execute that ba- those basic power-o like, type of run concepts that it seems uh, Tony Peterson really wants to run a lot to establish the run. And the passing game doesn't do a whole lot of favors because everything starts with a three-step drop and some long developing routes. What we do have is our, our tackles, well, our center is our best lineman in Doug Kramer when he's healthy. Our, our tackles have actually been really disappointing. Uh, Vidarian Lowe and Alex Polszewski, they got, uh, got pancaked several times in this game. Um, in Vidarian Lowe's case, he got pancaked right onto Josh McCray for a freak injury. But how's he? How'd that end up? By the way, apparently he's good to go for the next game. So that's why I say the Purdue game is suddenly interesting now because Josh McCray is the only Illinois back that is capable of pounding it between the tackles. The rest of our guys are kind of small, shifty guys that uh, may also play some receiver. We don't really have with Brian Hightower sidelined indefinitely. We don't really have any receivers that are you know kind of big outside guys. All we have is kind of kind of small, shifty slot guys. So the fact that we don't seem to have any quick slants, any quick outs, uh, execute screens really poorly. We never tried to attack the edge in the running game, run a stretch play or anything like that. Even though Maryland was sold out to stop the interior running game, it just baffled me. I think Tony Peterson is in over his head, and I think that... Uh, Deuce Span has decent size, right? He does. We have him at receiver, but he's... Yeah. Yeah, he's he's decently athletic. I personally would like to see him at quarterback because, uh, from what I saw in high school, pretty good arm. Uh, couldn't possibly have worse pocket presence than the guys that we have been starting. Yeah, man, that's it's different. So usually when you see a guy like Brandon Peters who is very state, who's by no means a running quarterback, uh, not even with the kind of functional pocket mobility that you see of guys. So. These days, there are basically like actual dual threats, guys who want to and will look to run, and then even guys who you think of as pocket passers are generally mobile enough that if the pocket collapses, they can move around a little bit. It's the bit. difference between Jalen Hurts and Kyler Murray, not to use yeah. two Oklahoma quarterbacks, but they did play in the same system. Jalen Hurts is a running back uh, that who plays also, quarterback. You could also throw pretty Kyler good. Murray is a, a throwing quarterback who runs pretty well. Uh, the difference is Kyler Murray will will scamper out of bounds and will will do you know he won't run unless he needs to. Jalen Hurts will cut it back inside at the sideline and look for contact. Yeah, you can't. You don't see many quarterbacks like Peters anymore who are that stationary because defenses seem to have. I think it's understood generally across the board across all levels of football that the easiest way to disrupt an offense is to hit the quarterback. And if you don't have a quarterback that's a threat to carry the ball, you're playing 
10 on 11. Yeah, you're voluntarily giving up an event, especially in the college game. Like in, in the pros, because of how valuable quarterbacks are, they don't general, they're not generally expected to keep the ball that much, but they have to at least be a the threat. The thing with Peters is, though, it's not his athleticism because that's been adequate. It's his awareness. He really doesn't yeah. seem to know what's going on around him in the yeah. pocket. And that's why I said, like, he got drilled several times. And that's it was why hard to, and he, every yeah. single game is, is, is like this with him. It's really difficult to watch because you, you see, I saw there was one where a guy came from the side where he should have been able to see him and it looks like he just never saw him and just, just rocked his world. Um, so it's also difficult to execute things when, you know, the offensive line hasn't developed like you'd hoped and you just don't really have any options at quarterback. Yeah. I wouldn't mind seeing Northern Michigan transfer Ryan Johnson uh, a little bit, only because we know what we have in these two guys in Peters and Sitkowski. I don't think I want to see any more Brandon Peters after the uh, would-be game-winning drive that Illinois put on, because that was, holy shit, one of the worst... Like, that will go down in history as an infamous drive. One of the worst drives I have ever seen. Yeah, man. It's just like... And that was the point I was circling towards, which is that usually a guy who is is not the best runner, you've got to have pocket presence. And I, it's it's strange that he hasn't developed that ability because it's not like he's a redshirt freshman or something. He's played a lot of football in the Big Ten. and He's a sixth-year senior. And that he doesn't have a better sense now of when the pocket's collapsing and how he can even just make subtle moves. It's not like he has to break out and, and scramble to the sideline. Just shifting around in the pocket would buy him more time on a lot of plays, but he just doesn't seem to have a grasp of it. And, it's, and the other thing is, and I don't know how much of this is him and how much of this is the offensive game plan, getting the ball out earlier. He's got a big, strong arm. We've got two big targets in Luke Ford and Daniel Barker that have proven that they can catch it. Of course, yeah. I say that, and then uh, Peters wasted a fumble by throwing a god-awful pick way over the head of Ford. And then from first and five from the Maryland seven, we spammed the same play at Daniel Barker three times for three incompletions. Again, that's a situation where even though the running has been kind of kind of fruitless, you, you got to try to run the ball there. Um, you also got to try to run the ball on fourth and one from your opponent's 41 when getting the first down will effectively end the game. Yeah, that was um, that was very much an example of playing scared. And well, there's actually there's an interesting contrast between that game and Michigan State's approach. Because what I wonder is, about. why was that? Is it because he really talked himself into this idea of Blake Hayes will win you the game? Is it because he doesn't trust his offensive coordinator after I've seen numerous third and short calls where puts Epstein like nine yards in the backfield and it takes forever to develop just completely inappropriate play call? I don't know when the last time I saw a quarterback sneak at Illinois was, but it would have been a great spot for it. But the, the, the fact is... It wouldn't be such a problem that we can't execute these things on offense if we were trying anything else. We, we, we're not so bad talent-wise that we can't make anything happen with the offense, but I just think our guy is... I just think Tony Peterson is in over his head. Um, I don't think... he's He hasn't shown anything that indicates that he should be calling plays at this level. And again, unlike the defense, which I give a lot of credit to, even in the Virginia game where they looked so terrible, they did make some adjustments after that first quarter, stopped the bleeding a little bit, not that it mattered in the long term, but point is, you saw them, you saw Ryan Walters and you saw this defensive brain trust reacting to what the game situation was and what their personnel were. Now, of course, 
Some of the signature Illinois things that we saw were a guy having a breakout game and then getting a freak injury. Because you can't have a... The best way to stay healthy for Illinois is do not have a breakout game. You don't want to get too far. Like, I was wondering where angry Iowa running back Hayden God has gone. And I don't think that he's gone to Illinois. But he's definitely got a relative that really likes to play pranks on us. Because it's like, we saw this with uh, Kelvin Hart in week zero. And I said it was like speed running the Mike Dudek experience. Oh, here's this guy who's going to be really good for us for a while. Oh, 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 he's out for the he's season. Done okay. already, yeah. Huh, that was fun. Done already. Um, so, yeah, after after failing to ice the game, gave up a hot knife through butter touchdown and then the worst drive I've ever seen. Uh, ending up with one of the funniest plays I've ever seen. A fantastic completion after a pirouette to... Uh, Fill in center Blake Gerasady. To, to an offensive lineman. Made a nice grab and honestly a decent move upfield with it. Um, he pro I mean, if you're an offensive lineman in that in, in any situation and the ball is coming towards your hands, notwithstanding the fact that you've been taught as long as you played offensive line, you are not allowed to touch the ball. It's got to be hard to fight the instinct of, yes, I am the hero. I'm catching this illegal pass to an eligible receiver and going upfield with it. Damn the torpedoes full speed ahead. Um, God bless that lad. I talked way more about this than I would have ever ever blow up, but on the other side, I kept saying throughout the game, God, if I were a Maryland fan, I would be shitting bricks about this. because oh, DJ checked out. Our, our Maryland guy left in like the early third quarter. He's like, fuck it, I'm going to bed. I'm like, yeah, okay, because that, 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 that was terrible. I really think Illinois is, is about the worst team in the Big Ten, or at the very least, by November they will be. Um, yeah. And... They did everything they could to, to lose that game. The hat game this year might be truly special. Um, that's so, not gonna, I don't know if that's gonna, that doesn't feel like a game for bowl eligibility so much as it feels like a game where both teams are looking for their third win. But at the same time, you got to be encouraged that you got away with playing such a horribly undisciplined game where you did a lot of inconsistent and dumb things, and you still found a way to win. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah, to be fair, Illinois got a completely bullshit thing happen when Casey Washington picked up a Reggie Love fumble and ran it 30 yards for a touchdown That's true. on offense. But, uh, yeah, I mean, not a whole lot more to say about Illinois. We really, really, really need... I mean, our, our coach demonstrated that he was both a coward and an idiot in the last five minutes of the game. So, um, hopefully he does better because I don't think the offensive coordinator has any hope. Uh, Rutgers destroyed Delaware. Uh Really, no who, comment. Who, who cares? There. It's I an mean, FCS opponent. That's not a Dakota, so there's. So no I'm in the stock there. market game. Yeah. And I picked up Rutgers. Picked up Rutgers, Illinois, and Michigan State. Figuring Illinois wouldn't, you know, get worse. Maryland's highly rated. That panned out. M- Michigan State was a, a flyer. That panned out. Rutgers uh, dropped four spots. Um, it is in because a, in a 32 point win. Yeah, I figured that was a safe investment, but the reason I bring that up is because. All of Rutgers' opponents so far have been terrible. Yeah. Um, they, and so. this is not to discount what they've done because they themselves were terrible a few years ago, but their opponents have been really bad, so it's really hard to gauge where they are. They obviously, they played good defense. Again, they, they, they took out the trash. That's, again, more than you can say for them a few years ago, but certainly would think that they'd get steamrolled by Michigan. Yeah, now they play Michigan and they've they've they have not prepared themselves. If I'm if I'm Rutgers, I would have really liked to get like a you know like like an Indiana or like a you know like a Purdue, like a like a warm up like any West team other <laughs> yeah. than Wisconsin or Iowa basically would have done. You know, like a like a like a mid 
pack, mid mid to lower pack. Or even just like a, better, like a higher quality MAC team. Who did they play last week? I know they played... They played um, Syracuse, they played which is... Temple. Okay, so look. Syracuse Syracuse's is one of the worst Power 5 teams. So it, honestly, Syracuse should have been more of a warm-up game for them. That, it's, you know, Rutgers can't control... And, and Temple Syracuse also got really bad. No, it's not their yeah, fault at all. I'm just saying... Right. But sure, it still it doesn't change the fact that so far don't know what have, to say about they them. have not played a good opponent. <laughs> Other than that, they're taking out the trash. Speaking of which, Iowa thirty, Kent State seven. Not that Kent State's a trash team. <laughs> no, just Iowa has yeah. a very good defense. <laughs> Once again, Iowa's defense scored the first points of the game this time by the safety. Um, the offense did find a little bit of traction here, leading on Tyler Goodson. You know, Petrus didn't really have to do a whole lot. They did experiment with some switching to man, I was told, which is a bit outside their comfort zone. So Kent State put some yards on the board later in the game. But again, allowing a touch, only one touchdown to a team that was in catch-up for most of the game. Nothing to be too worried about there, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, it was I mean, it was a touchdown to cut it to 9-7, to seven, but they took care of business after that. Now, uh, and Kent State is, I think, still, even though they think that they are winless so far, <laughs> I think they're going to be a good MAC team. Yeah, well, they play, I forget who else they played. They played um, Texas A&M. They played Texas A&M. They played Iowa now. They play Maryland next week. They, so. they could beat Maryland if Maryland plays like they did. Because yeah. unlike Illinois, Kent State very much has a quarterback. Dustin Crum could be a problem. Yeah, they're out there getting getting those game checks. I'll put it that way. Here was a game that was a little bit interesting for quite a while. Substantially more than I thought it would be. Tulsa 20, Ohio State 41. Ohio State shuffled the defensive responsibilities in the off season or in the off off week what am off I saying? week yeah this past week they weren't even off it was just over this week so Kerry Combs is still the defensive coordinator in name but Matt Barnes is now calling the plays not that Matt Barnes uh, <laughs> although that would be splendid and so they well yeah we'll see we'll see if he's available next week or if he has to go and drive to Derek Fisher's house to kick his ass <laughs> Just drama continues on the coaching staff in Columbus. The defense is decidedly not fixed here in that Tulsa threw for over 450 yards. Uh, But fortunately, when you're Ohio State, you can face this kind of situation. Like, oh, man, look at this. This G5 team is giving us a little bit more of a problem than we expected, you know, halftime, even a little bit beyond. Oh, hey. When we were against Minnesota and we were struggling to put them away, do you remember that time that we put in a generational talent at running back that's just been sitting on our bench? Oh, this guy over here, he's holding my clipboard. Hey, Trey, come here. Get in there and uh, break Archie Griffin's freshman record for single-game rushing by an Ohio State running back. Go on and do that right now. 270 yards, three touchdowns on 10 yards of carry. And they got a game-icing pick six late that made it... Made this game seem like it wasn't as close as it was. It was 27-20 uh, in the fourth quarter, like until about three and a half minutes to go. Um, wasn't quite back and forth. Tulsa did make a comeback from it, but the fact that Tulsa was able to do that. Boy, yeah. C.J. Stroud still not really convinced that uh, that the training camp battle was that decisive. Well, I don't, I don't know one way or another. I don't think it matters because I think they're deep enough into the season that they're not going to make that switch unless they absolutely have to. And honestly, with the offensive line they have, they shouldn't have much trouble leaning on Henderson. You you opine in the offseason, look, it's just a matter of time before they give him all the carries. I thought it would be a little bit more of a timeshare, but sure enough, here we are. And yeah, it. I don't actually look at high schoolers' tape all that often, but once in a while I'll be curious about a guy. And I looked at Henderson's high school stuff and what I saw 
absolutely horrified me. Every now and then I do look at high schoolers tape, and by that mean I mean I go back and look at the Jadavian Clowney one because it's just so funny. <laughs> because it never I mean, gets less irritating. It's, it's, yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. it's like you made a creative player that's just got like ninety nine everything <laughs> yeah. and yeah. is like is like thirty percent bigger than everybody else on the field. <laughs> Speaking so, of which, Michigan sixty three, Northern Illinois ten. And so the natural gif that you would post here would be stop, stop, they're already dead. It it's also true that Michigan still did not get much exercise for their passing game. They did attempt a few deep shots in this one, and you can discern that basically Cornelius Johnson is going to step into the role of their top receiver for the most part. Um, they're going to keep Daylon Baldwin and um, Roman Wilson involved somewhat. A.J. Henning, I still think they're going to do more sweeps and screens and stuff. He's also their punt returner now. So you get a little bit better sense of what their playmaker distribution will look like when they have to throw the ball a whole lot, but they still didn't do it. I think they threw 15 passes in the entire game. And look, again, I still understand the argument that if it's not broke, don't fix it. This is what we want to do anyway. If they're confident enough in their passing game that they don't feel they need to show literally anything during a game, I guess that's fine. But I think even Rutgers is going to be something of an obstacle to this run game. That said, I don't think Rutgers is going to score more than 14, 17 points on Michigan. But again, you go to Madison in two weeks. You still don't really know if you can throw the ball effectively. And you know Wisconsin is going to be a problem for running the ball against. So this approach, we'll see. I mean, again, it could well be that they really are this good at running the ball and it doesn't matter. I went to see just because, you know, then the narrative is, yeah, they're now getting into a conference schedule where they proved... A little bit in the non-conference, but certainly not as much as other teams in the Big Ten. So I was thinking, how did Washington do? They incinerated Arkansas State 52-3. to I saw that. I was a yeah. bit surprised by that. But Arkansas State has been very good at passing the ball. You know their quarterback is, right? No. James Blackman. That guy's still around? Yeah. Man. And Arkansas State is one of those, uh, still Blake Anderson, I think, is still the coach there, and they like to sling it. Remember they had uh, Omar Bayless a few years ago as yeah. one of the top receivers in college football. I thought, didn't he move on? Because he's, he's the coach whose wife passed yeah. away, right? I'm pretty sure he took another job somewhere else. Mm. I could be wrong. I thought he had gone somewhere else. But oh, anyway. U- Utah State, yeah. Yeah. He I did go right. to Utah State. So, hmm. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, so look, it, what else can you say about this one? Not much. Um, the, it, the only real threat that Northern Illinois had on offense is their running back, Harrison Whaley. But when you're getting ground to pace, I think Michigan scored touchdowns on like nine straight possessions to start the game, and then they <laughs> throttled down from there. So, kind of hard to keep running the ball or even throwing it to your running back when that's the situation. <laughs> Uh, Rocky Lombardi did not end up riding again, as it turned out. But such such beliefs were pipe dreams and paranoid worryings by any Michigan fans who might have actually thought that was a possibility. This is not a, this is not Dave Doran's Northern Illinois. It's not Ron Carey's Northern Illinois. A lament in the distance for the demise <laughs> of the Huskies. Oh, she does really like Huskies. Uh, Duke thirty, Northwestern twenty three. So, your opinion was this wasn't much of a game, but Duke kind of hit cruise control after jumping out 27 to nothing. That's what I thought. But what I wonder is this. If Pat Fitzgerald sees the writing on the wall a little earlier, 
and doesn't start Hunter Johnson. Does Northwestern come all the way back? Because, boy, did Hunter Johnson dig them into a deep hole. I don't think there was anything in their previous couple games that would have led Fitzgerald to bench Johnson immediately. If he had stopped him from turning the ball over four times, yes, I think they probably could have managed it. Because At the same time, how just how short of a leash do you want to give your guy that you're you know, kind of building your offense around. But, I mean, you probably could have won this game if you'd had a little shorter of one because Andrew Marty was good enough to at least steady the offense. And It'll be interesting to see what they do this week. They've, they're hosting an Ohio team that has also dropped off pretty abruptly this season but is still going to be one of the better MAC teams out there from the leftovers that Solish left behind. God, I hope Northwestern wins. If Northwestern beats Ohio, then I can be reasonably assured that they're not going to run the table. <laughs> they lose to Ohio, look out. Yeah, so... Again, I... Honestly, I'm worried about how Michigan State's pass defense holds up over the course of the season now because of how bad Hunter Johnson looked in this game and how good he looked against us. Uh, but, yeah... Duke was up 27 nothing in this game because three interceptions and a, and a lost fumble. And it's just like, it's bizarre how quickly he turned back into a pumpkin. Yeah, I almost wish that Andrew Marty had come in earlier and won the game because then he'd be known for something other than that one game. <laughs> uh, one of the more surprising results for me... Oklahoma 23, Nebraska 16. Oh, yeah, huge surprise. And partial credit will be awarded here for Nebraska not getting murder-death killed, um, easily covering the spread. And, look, they they left six points and missed field goals on the field. I we I think we got to talk at, at this point about the problem that Nebraska's kicking game in. I was looking at their overall stats ahead of their matchup with my team this week. You want to guess what his overall kicking splits are? They can't be good. He's missed three extra points, and he's mm. gone three for eight on field goals. This is last year's Big Ten Kicker of the Year. I, I've never seen... Well, I remember when Griffin Oaks, like, had a real... Didn't he have a fairly bad season one year for Indiana? I don't recall. Or, or at least he started out, like, missing just about everything. I might be making that up, but I feel like that's a thing that happened. But that's that's an incredible drop-off. Um of course, tons of credit should go to Nebraska's defensive coordinator and their defense in general because and, they and did to, have the athletes. And to me also for playing Spencer Rattler. Yeah, most people did. Because they did have the athletes to maybe make this a game. It was just a matter of where they going to use them. Now, I don't want to discredit Nebraska too much because even if this next part is true, it is still way... Better than what I thought their station was after losing to Illinois, but I suspect that Oklahoma might be a little bit of a mess for a number three in the country team because uh, they played some tomato can and beat them 76 to nothing, and otherwise they've played two games at home uh, against Nebraska and Tulane and, and won by one score yeah. in each of them. Yeah. So they might be a pretty volatile team. Um, Nevertheless, I mean, I, I think I put Nebraska up to maybe as high as ninth in my power vote this week because I, I think they are a lot better than they showed in week one. And I think, again, I'm, I'm thinking that that really was a case where Scott Frost coached himself out of the game over the course of training camp before the Illinois game, and the team is nowhere near as bad as it looked that day. 
but it still counts as a loss, and he's going to need to find the wins from somewhere. This is a very encouraging result, but at the end of the day, they're 2-2. Two and two. They are, yeah. But despite Michigan State having arguably the best performance of the week in the conference, they opened as three-and-a-half-point favorites at home to this Nebraska team. So, I, yeah, I think you're right that Nebraska is... And I said this in the offseason. This is a good enough team to do some big things. That Illinois game was bad, but it's going to be important to remember that it is also it only counts as one. Yeah. Well, it's very good that it counts as one. <laughs> we haven't gone 111 since 2003. So, uh, we're halfway there, living on a prayer. So, another game that... A real gift. It's going to... It's never going to stop looking like less of a gift. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. A game that could have gone a very different way but for a couple of impact turn like momentum turning moments Cincinnati 38 Indiana 24 so the Micah McFadden ejection I know some Indiana fans were up in arms about really the the bigger problem here is that Michael Penix has moved into problem territory with the turnovers you can't throw three interceptions against a team as good as Cincinnati and expect to win I get the give, and I understand why he feels he has to do everything. Because if you look at their run game efficiency, uh, they don't have run game efficiency. They can't run the ball, and that's what that team wants to do, and they kind of can't do it. It's, and there's and there's also there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot that goes out the window because because Penix is not supposed to be the first option in this offense, but that's kind of how, how he's taking it upon himself. But the other thing is, Freifogel has also not been yeah, as good. That's exactly what I was going to say. You can put Freifogel's face on a milk carton, man. It, it's not clear if he's... I mean, he's been playing. He doesn't look hurt, but... It could just be that everybody's game-planning for he's him. He's dropped a number of passes. Um, they've been fortunate to get the contributions they have from DJ Matthews, that Texas A&M transfer, because otherwise this, pat, this offense would be even more of a mess than it has been. Um, so, yeah, like I said, losing McFadden hurt them. But as with the Iowa game, the fact that the, that the opponent ends up with 38 points on the board is not reflective of what the defense was doing. Indiana only allowed about 330 total yards of offense, and that's to a seasoned, balanced opponent with a really good senior quarterback. The, just, you know, the offense kept turning the ball over and putting them in short fields in bad situations, and so that number of yards turns into 38 points. Well, I'll tell you what... Um... It's definitely a thing that I certainly feel for them in that they had a great season last year, sold out the stadium here for a big game, went up 14-0, and then over the course of the game is, oh no, we suck again. That yeah. used to be Illinois' bread and butter. 2008, <laughs> baby. <laughs> Five and seven. But I guess this is where you you see just how resilient uh, this program is because they they climbed to the high you know the highest they've been up on that mountain last year. Mm. So how can they respond to getting knocked down pretty hard a couple of times here? 
Because Iowa game is an absolute, just an absolute, uh, you know, punch in the nuts. But, but this still, one, this one's a bit of a of a heartbreaker. I'm still hopeful on their behalf, but I was saying in the off season, you know, look, I'm going to keep up with comparisons to 2010 MSU until they give me a reason not to. Okay, well, you know, now there's reasons not to. So I will go ahead and shelve those comparisons. Yeah, where's where's Le'Veon Bell? Maybe this is 2009 MSU. <laughs> I just mistimed things a little bit because. That is a little bit more what this feels like. Um, okay, so we'll move on to my main course now. Uh, Michigan State 38, Miami 17. There's a lot, I could talk for like half an hour about this game. I'm going to try not to. The first thing that I have to observe here is that Mel Tucker is so much better at coaching football than Manny Diaz. It's astounding. Miami had Michigan State on the ropes early with an aggressive blitz game and with hitch throws underneath on offense. I'm still not entirely sure if the hitch throw fit, if allowing the short throws and playing soft coverage wasn't MSU's strategy the whole time. Um, Because what happened was Miami couldn't hit big plays. MSU controlled their run game and basically made De'Eric King complete all these passes, counting on the fact that over 10, 11, 12 drive plays on the drive that he would make a mistake, and he did. He turned it over four times over the course of the game. And aside from his performance, which yeah, he completed a lot of passes, Miami also committed a ton of penalties, which I think that's in part knowing your opponent. That's knowing If you have an undisciplined opponent with a lot of talent, make them prove that they can be methodical and efficient. And Miami couldn't do it over the course of the game. And then offensively, Michigan State on their first couple drives was trying to call runs into the middle, and slower developing pass plays that just got Peyton Thorne killed a few times. So to their credit, and I, I don't know if this is something they designed before the game or if they make these adjustments on the fly during. Either way, though, they start calling misdirection plays, counter runs, screens, things that take Miami's blitzing and turn it against them, and they're picking up big third downs, um, opening big plays. Kenneth Walker started bouncing it outside. He found a lot more success there than running it in. And so that's the that brings us to the other thing I have to talk about here, which is that Kenneth Walker currently leading the country in rushing. I keep seeing this stat. I forget what the number of yards he has is, but if you took just the yards he has after contact, he'd still be in the top 10 nationally <laughs> in rushing this wow. year. And that's, keep in mind that in the Youngstown State game, they barely played him. He had like 50-something yards. Because I played him on my fantasy team. <laughs> so, you, you know, the performance that he could be having if they had run him like an Oklahoma quarterback from a stats counting perspective, would he, he could be approaching a thousand yards by now if they had played him all game against Youngstown. So he carried the offense until the pass game was able to deal with Miami's blitzing. Defensively they kept rotating. The other thing is that from a game planning and like program management perspective, it was pretty obvious that they had been planning for these conditions for months because they <laughs> it, it's a noon kick in Miami. And if you've ever watched a game at Hard Rock Stadium, the crappy stadium 20 miles away from their campus, um, the stadium is oriented such that Miami's sideline is in shade from the stands all game, and the visitors' sideline is in zero shade, uh, which is quite a diabolical little design and brilliant. Honestly, I would hope that my team could do the same if we ever had the opportunity. Uh, but so I'm imagining that they generally think we're going to have a big advantage over teams from outside of South Florida. Um, 
I didn't see a single guy on Michigan State's team cramp up all game. I didn't see anybody who looked out of breath or unable to keep up with the guy they were checking. They looked completely prepared, and they were dramatically better in the fourth quarter than Miami was. So that's yet another piece of evidence to me, because I'm, th- I'm comparing this performance to what they did at Arizona State a few years ago at the tail end of the D'Antonio era, yeah. when even with the late kickoff, it was extremely hot also. And they did have problems because, for one, again, one, I'm, I'm going to be convinced until I have a convincing you know, explanation to the contrary that D'Antonio's strength and conditioning and sports nutrition programs were archaic. And so between that... Well, there's also the, the body clock issue. Yeah, to an extent, but they go out there a couple, like, it shouldn't have been that big of a problem, I don't think, but I, I do understand that. But beyond that, the fact that Tucker rotated enough players against Northwestern and Youngstown State so that they have experience on, especially on both lines, and were able to sub guys in and out, kept them fresh, and it was a top to bottom, you know, there, every aspect of it, the execution by the players, the game day coaching, like on the field coaching, and then identifying this as an important game early in the schedule. How do we design the program, the off-season program, to be as ready for this as we could be? I was extremely impressed. Um, and if it's repeatable, if it's sustainable, then this rebuild is not going to take long at all. Um, you commented earlier, you know, Oklahoma has some stuff to figure out. Missing Charleston Rambo might be a part of that. I think if he was on that offense alongside Mims, they'd look a hell of a lot better because he's a baller. Um, but they did force Rambo to beat them by himself, and he couldn't do it. I think he had 10 catches in the first half and two after halftime. So, yeah, Michigan State committed a fair number of penalties. That is a thing they can clean up. They're not going to be able to get away with that against Nebraska. But I would also say that, honestly, a similar game plan could work against Nebraska. You mean to tell me that forcing Adrian Martinez to complete a bunch of short throws isn't a pretty solid game plan? Well, I mean, and you're talking about rebuild won't take too long at all. Well, rebuild to where exactly? Currently ranked in the top 20, although, granted, that's a big assist from preseason Miami, the U, back expectations. But still... Uh, it has not taken very long to look like a competent Big Ten team, and uh, Tucker's basically done all of the, you know, the right things that you'd expect a coach to do. That was, you know, smart about how, how you know, the game planning and the in-game decisions have always been very sound. And yeah. It's it's and that's that's one of the things that even when the talent isn't there, you can look at those things and say, okay, when the talent is there to compete, and we have these close games. Do our guy are, are our guys good enough coaches to win them? Are yeah. they good enough at preparing? So and I think they are, and I'll give you a couple examples of why. So first, from a play calling perspective, I saw a more aggressive call from Tucker to put this game away than I ever saw from Mark Antonio in 13 years. They get the ball back in the fourth quarter, and instead of run, 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 punt, let's count on our defense. No, they dial up the pass play, and they get Jalen Naylor wide open, and that's it. Game over. It's a three-score game at this yeah. point. Touchdown. D'Antonio never calls that play, and because of that, sometimes his defenses were able to hold on, but they also let games get away from them in the fourth quarter, again, because they didn't rotate as much, so their de- their defenders would get tired, um, and they forced their defense to carry too much of the burden. This is, this is a much more 
complete team win where the offense actually does its part instead of just removing the amount of time the defense has to be on the field, which I really think was the approach D'Antonio had sometimes. And that's, and that's why I really no longer believe in this in this approach where you can just write off any part of a coach's first year at a program because they do say a lot. I mean, Michigan State was really bad last year. Yeah, they really were. Um, they shouldn't. They probably shouldn't have lost to Rutgers. They turned it over seven times. But even throughout all of that, and they had some really bad losses in there, all of the coaching was sound. Right? Yeah. There were no red flags going up. Everything was everything that they did. You know, suggested that they know what they're doing. And they know how to yeah. win games. They weren't doing anything that raised red flags for you. And what they, I think the biggest takeaway they had from last year was, this roster will not perform the way we need it to. We need to get 40 new players in here, which they did. And obviously, like the transfer that everyone is going to talk about because he gets the numbers is Kenneth Walker, and he's a great player. But that's, not, that's far from the only example. I mean, their offensive line is so much better with Jarrett Horst at left tackle and they've improved across the board, but in adding... very difficult to get yeah. an impact transfer at offensive line. By the way, it happens very rarely. And Horst is the third example I can think of of a Big Ten guy that was a good transfer. Line. And the other two were from the Big Ten. Yeah, Jonah Jackson at Ohio State and Coy Cronk going to Iowa. Uh, but yeah, he, there's other examples. I mean, they bring in Quarris Crouch as a linebacker. And there was a key play, I think, like mid-late third quarter. It's third and maybe six or seven. King breaks the pocket, and he's heading for the sticks. And Crouch beats him to the line and brings him down, and it's a, four, it's a fourth down. Miami had to punt. Last year, Antoine Simmons doesn't get there and make that tackle. Before that, Joe Bocci doesn't get there to make that tackle. That's a first down for Miami, and their drive continues. Um, likewise, Rob Williams is a guy who's going to, get a fair amount of criticism here because he allowed a lot of catches in front of him. But again, I'm really thinking that part of that was by design. And late in the game, when King goes to throw another one of those hitches that he's been able to rely on all game, Williams makes a spectacular leaping interception in front of it. And that was another back-breaking player for Miami. So, yeah, they're across the board, um, there's, there's very little to... To criticize here. And so... Now they have to handle success. And yeah. we'll see how that goes. But again, there was a lot to tell, even in what you could consider a lost season last year. And you can also kind of say the same thing, because when you see those kind of red flags pop up that early, there's not a lot of examples where they go away. And the only times when they do is when somebody brings in overwhelming amounts of talent. An example is Manny Diaz. Yeah. Went 6-7 and seven in his first year as Miami head coach. Now he brought in a shitload of talent last year. Uh, especially in the transfer portal in De'Ara yeah. King. Yeah. Um, went did, I think eight did and three. Uh, yeah, did did that again. Now here they sit at one and two, a loss to Alabama, but a loss against Michigan State team that I really think they should have been able to to, to beat if they oh, yeah. if they had prepared better. If the coaching was equal, Miami is, I still think, a, a more talented roster, and they were at home. They probably should have won that game. I will say, though, that I think this win could end up aging pretty well in that... The ACC sure seems down. I, don't, I think Miami does not play um, Clemson this year. So, you know. I really, really wish Illinois would schedule Miami and Texas. Like, every year we play either Miami or Texas in week two or three of the season. Because it doesn't <laughs> matter who they play, right? They play a non-conference yeah. opponent that you think they should be able to beat. And then they lose to them. Like, it kind of... and. And sometimes that makes that team good. You look at Arkansas, look at Michigan State. 
Like, it doesn't make it, it validates them. Sometimes it just doesn't mean anything, like Maryland <laughs> a few years ago. But still, it'd be nice. You know, because again, yeah. it doesn't seem to matter who it is that they play. Yeah. <laughs> they they got to lose back status. So Miami's been flushed all the way out of the rankings. Texas has been flushed all the way out of the rankings and doing this every single year. I can't believe people thought that Miami was going to actually give Alabama a game, let alone still be ranked at this point in the season. Um, another guy that you could that you could see, even though there was a lost season, P.J. Fleck, mm-hmm. did nothing for coaching and game planning that you could say was a red flag or was really weird or made you not really like his upside as a coach. Yeah. <laughs> so we get to that, of course, Minnesota 30, Colorado 0. Um, I'm going to take a look at the final box score here because I want to get this right. But I believe... Colorado was held under 100 total yards of offense. 63. That, ladies and gentlemen, is an impressive accomplishment, especially considering that you're on the road. You've gone, I mean, it's only one time zone difference, I believe. But still, to hold a Power 5 team with decent talent to that kind of inefficiency is just mind-boggling. So again, this is not sack-adjusted, but... Colorado, as a team, gets about negative 20 yards rushing. And again, that's because there's a lot of sacks in here. Their quarterback is credited with minus 27, but that's certainly not reflective of actual rushing attempts. But anyway. I have a question. Yeah. Can you name Colorado's head coach? Right now? Yeah. Um, uh, the guy who used to coach at UCLA. Um, I guess the answer is no I can't. I'm gonna as soon as you say it, I'm gonna I'm gonna Carl Durrell. Yes, yes. What Carl took me with, several times to remember that. Carl with a K Durrell, yes. Uh, weird hire. Well <laughs> we kind of passed the buck of difficult coaching hire to them, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Los Siento Buffalo's no hard feelings. <laughs> but uh, I could understand if they were mad at it. But us. he was the returning Pac twelve coach of the year. After a after the season that can best be described as the effects of small sample size, right? Uh, Going so, four and two overall, three and one in conference play. Yeah, and so this this is a an example of Minnesota again leaning on the rushing game here. Fifty three rushing attempts to seventeen passes, um, and this is a little bit of the same. A little bit of the same situation that you get with Michigan, where it's like, man, don't you want to be a little bit more balanced, knowing that down the road there are games you're not going to be able to run very well? Um, they did get Chris Ottman Bell back in this game. He steps right back in their leading receiver role. But it's clearly still not a. I mean, this, I don't think this passing game is ever going to look like what it did with Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman. Not that that's saying, I mean, that big, big hot take from there, yeah. right? Um, you don't say. Well, I mean, they've had other receivers who have shown flashes of being able to do that, but they don't seem to have any willingness to try to balance things out here. They're going to, if they can get away with running, they're not going to pass. And again, like if you're beating an opponent 30 to nothing on the road, why would you bother changing things up? Do they play Michigan? Hmm? Do they play Michigan? I don't know. I don't think so. Okay, because the. We, we're not, oh, we're that not game will that, that game will be over in an hour no, and a half. We're not going to pass. We're not going to pass either. <laughs> what, you, you throw, you, why, don't, why don't you throw the first pass in? One but, other but you can pass here, right. Um, you can you can pass right, can't you? What what can you not pass? What what can you not? Are you going to throw the first pass? No, man. I thought you could pass the ball. What have you just been just been keeping that in your playbook? 
Hey, can you not pass? Pass me, bro. Come on, come on, pass at me, bro. <laughs> uh, one little observation that, again, could be an issue because, again, you expect close games, tough games. Um, Matthew Trickett goes one for three on field goal attempts here and also misses an extra point. So another Big Ten West team that's got issues in the kicking game, but 30 to nothing on the road, hard to be too upset about it. Colorado's only win this year is against Northern Colorado, so I went to see how good they are. They were picked as the last place team in the Big Sky. So they have a first-year coach. You know who it is? Papa McCaffrey. Yep. Yep, so the McCaffrey Fortress is being established at Northern Colorado right now. It'll be interesting (laughs) to see how that turns out. Well, and I give Christian about another year before his body falls Mm, apart, so he'll be on that coaching staff before long, I would guess. Um, I wonder what Luke's up to. Um, Wait a minute! Didn't one of them go there? Dylan went there. Yeah, the guy who left, who the guy who was on Michigan's, who was enrolled as a student at Michigan but did not play last year. Right. Um, Luke is the guy who was at Nebraska and then Louisville and now somewhere else. Nah. Where did he end up? I. You know what? It doesn't. We're running long here anyway. Well, not at Notre Dame and not at Purdue. So irrelevant yeah. to our next segment. Um. I opined last week that, although Xander Horvath is a good player individually, that Purdue needed to do something to shake up this running game, and maybe this could be a blessing in disguise. Well, at least against Notre Dame, it was not. Um, They did not get the same kind of production on the ground that they needed to keep the chains moving. They ended with 13 points in the game. Their defense kept them in it for a while, and we have not said that about Purdue under Jeff Brom very often, if at all. Yeah, I, I wrote up my Champagne Room preview for the game next week, and I did say that like it has been a marked difference, this brain trust that he's put together. It, it has been a, a vast improvement through three games, and yeah. with the abundance of riches at the skill positions of Notre Dame, to be able to keep this one within striking distance for so long is really a testament to, to how much they've improved that defense. Yeah, and eventually I think it was... I think it's a thing where they don't really have the depth defensively to hold this type of playmaker down forever. I believe Notre Dame's three touchdowns all went longer than 35 yards. Uh, A couple of them, like, 50-plus. So, again, yeah, Kyron Williams... um, uh, What's his nuts? The other guy, the receiver... Not the guy who I thought. Avery Davis was the yeah, not, guy who... Yeah, wasn't Mayer. I know. Uh, <laughs> God damn it. Um, so, anyway. Well, as far as Horvath is concerned, look, I, I, I watched the early Mike McCarthy Packers. I, I, I know that sometimes you need... The only stat that matters in your running back is their pass block stat. <laughs> sure. Brandon Jackson's starter. Yes. Um, I remember try, I remember a couple times I was like... This guy's starting for the Packers. No, he's starting for the Packers because he pass blocks. I've got to give him a shot, don't I? Yeah, no. I recall. Oh, my God. We should start a fantasy league with uh, successful running back pass blocks as a stat. How on earth would that even be tallied? Um, (laughs) Oh, yeah. I I remember the multiple years of, well, this is the year Ryan Grant's actually good, right? Um, (laughs) So, anyway, we got to keep this moving. We'll finish up. Biggest takeaway, David Bell, though, went down in this game. He went down. The early reports that I saw were that he was up and talking and apparently okay, so the injury doesn't seem to be as bad as it looked like. We're not talking a neck injury or anything. 
he very well could end up in concussion protocol, which would be great news for you. Uh, but well, it seems as though long-term he should be okay. In some ways, yes. In some ways, no, because I'm now 50 points out of the lead in our fantasy league and having David Bell against the Illinois secondary. Woo! You wouldn't have been the only one to notice that, though. Obviously. But, uh, oh, oh, but my wife, who is, oh, she's not leading, but I'd at least, I'd at least get by her because she refuses to play Ohio State players or anybody against Illinois. How she's the defending champion is just a, a, a testament to her belief in 2019 LSU. Uh, Penn State 28, Auburn 20. It turns out that, um, it turns out that, that maybe it wasn't business as usual for Auburn. Well, if you, if by that you mean, Losing a high-profile game is probably... Oh, yeah, no, very much. And, and any time when Cam Newton is not your quarterback, then yes, it was a typical game for Auburn. Um, really a pretty complete, straightforward win for Penn State. This was a remarkably clean game. Um, each team had one turnover apiece. I think there was only one sack yielded between them. The longest play in the game was 40 yards on the dot, so both defenses did a good job of keeping it in front of them. And you, you never would have thought a year ago that Penn State would win this type of game against that type of opponent because Sean Clifford was a hyper-efficient game-manager type of quarterback. If 28 for 32 was his yeah, stat line. hyper-efficient. He had one turnover, but 280 yards, two touchdowns, uh, in kind of the absence of much of a running game, which, yeah. again, could at some point become a problem for them. Um, but Clifford did more than enough to make up for it because... Uh, their their passing game is kind of designed to work in the absence of a running game, which you know credit to the new offensive coordinator. Kind of, right? but it, it is also in the past. It's also been reliant on the big play, and they didn't get that in this. They got like I said, the forty yarder was basically a catch and run to Brenton Strange, one of the tight ends. It's not like they threw it forty yards down the field. So this, yeah, this new offense seems to be a little bit more tailored to Clifford's strength. He doesn't seem a lot of more like West Coast style, like quick passing concepts, which, which again, as I noted earlier, would be a really useful thing if you say couldn't run the ball between the tackles at all. Uh, Good coaches would do things like that, and Penn State apparently has them. No reason we bring that up. Source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire!